Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Kevin Wilhelm to the show. Kevin Wilhelm is the CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting, instructor at the University of Washington and Harvard, and author of several best-selling books in sustainability, including his latest book, How to Talk to the Other Side, Finding Common Ground in the Time of Coronavirus, Recession, and Climate Change. He is one of the world's preeminent business consultants and teachers in the field of sustainability. He is renowned as a catalyst for impact in sustainability, bringing together divergent perspectives in business, environmental, and social justice communities to move positive change forward. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Raj. Kevin, thank you for joining. Kevin, where are you located? Seattle, Washington. How's the weather up there in Seattle? Uh, Today, it's gorgeous. And by gorgeous, give me a degree. I just want to be jealous for a moment. (laughs) Well, uh, it's all relative. In Seattle, it just means no rain. So that's the first thing. And then above 80 degrees. So uh, yeah, that, that's about where where we go. It doesn't get much hotter than that. And it's supposed to get to 90 this, this weekend and people are freaking out. So um, so right now, it's it's a pretty pretty good space to be. Well, for those that are freaking out in Dallas, I think we are cresting between 103 and 105. So just share the news with them. All right. <laughs> that's great. So Kevin, I'd like to open my show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Uh, if I was going to tell someone about myself, I'm, I, I see myself as kind of a, a bridge builder, um, finding practical solutions to you know, big problems, uh, both individually and, and with my business, try and find ways to bring common sense solutions to solve you know, big, intractable problems. And that's kind of a little bit about... Um, you know, why the work, I do the work I do and why I wrote the book I did. So I like the idea of bridge building and you mentioned your business. Can you give a brief overview of your current organization and then, you know, share some words about your new book? Sure. So my company is called Sustainable Business Consulting. We're a niche consultancy that really tries to help organizations derive business value through better social justice and environmental practices. So a lot of our work is helping organizations find ways they can take proactive solution, uh, actions on issues like climate change, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but in a way that's not just because it's the right thing to do, but in a way that's going to um, help them save money, make money, uh, enhance their brand value, reduce their risk, um, and engage their employees. And so a lot of the work we're doing is very much work that everyone knows they need to do, but what we do is we empower them with kind of the business case and the, the know-how of how to do it in a way that's going to actually provide bottom line business benefit to what your company's trying to do. And the book uh, that we wrote, kind of how, how to talk to the other side, 
this was really uh, a passion project for my myself and um, you know my, my co-author Natalie Hoffman, where you know, we really felt there's just been this deterioration in society in terms of how we talk to one another and politics has become something that's become a de facto way of standing in for one person's values and how we're stereotyping each other. And and I really felt like if we were going to solve not only business solutions, but societal issues, if we're going to tackle the coronavirus, we're going to tackle how we get out of this economic recession, we're going to tackle big problems on racial social justice, immigration, guns, abortion, whatever it is, that we needed to learn how to talk to one another again and in a way that could find win-win solutions for both parties. So that's why we we wrote the book. Um, and, you know, obviously we felt when we, we started doing the research that um, it was going to be very, you know, practical and helpful, but we felt this intense need to get it out um, once the coronavirus hit. So that's why the, the tagline is, how do you find common, finding common ground in a time of coronavirus uh, economic recession and climate change. So your previous books on sustainability, and now you have this book, How to Talk to the Other Side. How do these come together? And if if there's someone listening in right now and wants to learn or wants to try to talk, quote unquote, to the other side, whatever side that might be, what are some of the tips or tactics you would give that person? Yeah, that's a great question, Raj, because uh, the first two books were really about how do you do sustainability and kind of the, the why, you know, it's like, what are the technical things you do? What, how are you going to save money? How are you going to enhance your brand? But what was really, what I've noticed what's really missing is that people now just immediately just shut into their own tribes or into their own silos so quickly. And what to make any type of real lasting change, we had to you know develop a, a toolkit that could enable all of us to talk with people that disagree with us. I think all of us have gotten to a, a standpoint where we, if we're not villainizing the other side, we're, we're not feeling comfortable talking to them because there's just so much emotion and so much raw tension that's there. And this book was really about, you know, realizing that to get to the win-win solutions and the other activities that we talk about in our business or in the other two books, that we first had to find ways to, to establish common ground with people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's no different than, you know, when you're trying to talk to anybody uh, about anything, you know, you can't come in and try and impose your values on someone. First, you have to get to know them. You got to find out where you have common ground, where you have shared aspiration and shared values. And then how can you listen to what the other person is saying and find that kind of solution that can help both of you. And that's, that's really how the books all you know marry together is that this is really in our hypo politicized time. How do you reach out and talk to someone who may completely disagree with you on an issue, um, but yet find a way to actually help them solve their issue and help you solve your issue to move the ball forward? So what are one or two tactics that we can use to do that? Well, I think the the first one, believe it or not, is so simple, but none of us are doing it right now. Um, you know, because everyone, especially as we get closer to the election, people are are really feeling politicized, and you know, there's this feeling of, well, I, I, you know, the other side just needs to understand. And the reality is that nobody likes to be told what to do, whether you're on the left, whether you're on the right, whether you're for an issue or against an issue. 
what people are craving is to be listened to. People don't feel like they're being listened to anymore, whether it's, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons the Trump phenomenon was there is you had this whole section of the country that had been feeling like they're not being listened to. And you have the Black Lives Matter movement where you've got a whole society of the country that's felt like they've been ignored and, um, and not listened to. And so it really goes back to, instead of trying to convince somebody, so I'll use an example on climate change. People on the on the left for years have been you know trying to convince the right that climate change is real, and they hit them with science and stats and data and facts. But people aren't persuaded by that. People make decisions based on emotion, and so instead of trying to come and convince somebody, what you need to do is listen. You need to ask them what is at the core of their anxiety, what is really driving their fear, where what are their shared aspirations. And listen to them. And as you peel back the onion, you find that there's way more in common and that they're not really against the science or against taking action, but they're really worried about how it's going to impact their quality of life or their family or their business or somebody they know. And if you can get to that level and truly understand where the fear point is, then you can start having the conversation about, okay, now that I understand exactly what, what you're most afraid of, let me help you. Let's address that with the solution we're trying to bring forward. And if you can address that, it'll lower their temperature. It'll lower, you know, they will, they will kind of relax and they're going to be more willing to hear other types of solutions that, that you can provide to kind of work on the topic that you're really trying to address. Now, you mentioned impact their businesses. And, you know, you have a quite a deep background in consulting with business. I think you have over 20 years experience and working with over 165 different businesses. You gave a TEDx talk some time ago where you mentioned some specific steps that businesses could take. And it sounded like almost to make them more resilient or work better towards, you know, a better future from a climate change perspective. Can you walk us through those steps? Yeah. And, and I really appreciate you bringing that up, Raj, because one of the things that I was trying to mention in that TEDx spot is whether you're trying to address climate change or any issue. I mean, I think the pandemic is uh, obviously something that if you had asked people eight, 12 months ago, are you worried about a pandemic shutting down the entire country, kids being out of school? You know, people said, no way, that's such an extreme example that would never happen. But one of the things that we outlined in my book, Making Sustainability Stick and the TEDx, was how to be preparing for the future that is uncertain. And it really comes down to, you know, A, you know, doing kind of that baseline analysis of where your, your risks and opportunities are to your organization and looking at them through a way of kind of future-proofing your, your, your brand or your business by, you know, running through, you know, different scenarios. What would happen, and we can do it right now, what would happen, you know, when we're talking with businesses, we say, okay, let's look at a scenario where business returns to normal, where a business is, you know, only at 50%, kind of what you're doing, where let's go through a scenario where the pandemic uh, plays out for another three years. How would you go through your business? And it's it's no different than we talk to people about, whether it's an environmental regulation or a social justice issue. You know, if, let's say... Um, a Democrat were going to come into office and uh, massively put in new regulations, new laws, new permits that would be required to to operate. How would that impact your business? And we can look at it from a standpoint of, you know, that could be one extreme. Or if, let's say, you know, our current administration were to stay in power, 
and then we're going to continue to um, relax these issues. In what ways would you take action? Or there could be a middle ground where um, you know you come back and there's not drastic change on either way, but maybe there's con- different uh, consumer or uh, investor sentiment that would force you to act one way or another. What would you do? And so it really comes into kind of baselining and understanding where you are, um, you know, reaching out to various stakeholders and understanding what they care about, whether it's your customers, your investors, your employees, your um, anybody through your supply chain, realizing kind of what's your vision for your business in those different scenarios. And as you play it out, you're able to kind of, um, you know, realize that the, the actions you might take in one scenario are the same actions you might take in a different scenario, but it just kind of rises to the occasion of, hey, we really need to get going on some of these issues. So I see that you've also been teaching on sustainability for quite a while now. How have your audience or I guess your students changed over the years? What have you seen the biggest differences from when you started teaching till today? Yeah, I mean, when I started teaching, sustainability was very much on kind of the, the fringe it was um you know people that did it that were maybe trying to go and lead their green team or maybe there was an occasional person who led a department at their organization but you know didn't really have any budget didn't really have any say to where we are now the students that you know i have at say the university of washington or at harvard they are you know people that are, you know, these are vice presidents or director level individuals within an organization. These are people with real power and they understand that, um, that their consumers, their investors, their employees, their suppliers are demanding change. And so they're wanting to know, you know, what exactly should I be doing and, um, how can I derive business value from this? Whereas when we first got started, it was kind of, you know, let's show you how you can, you know, help, you know, save some money a little bit and maybe get some buy-in and everything. And nowadays, you've seen the gauntlet throw down by, you know, large companies like Microsoft and Amazon who are committed to being carbon neutral by 2040 and 2050. And they're, they're forcing their supply chains to move. We're seeing um, some of our, our, our clients that are ports that are now, you know, trying to be carbon negative by, say, 2050. We're seeing uh, hospitals that we work with that are trying to be carbon neutral by 2025. And all of this is really ratcheted up not only the ex- expertise that is needed, but the understanding of how you integrate kind of sustainability, climate, addressing the coronavirus, how you address all of that into the core of your business function. And in what ways can you do it that um, you know works seamlessly to help you accomplish all your goals? Now, you mentioned, you know, the students you're seeing now from VP levels and director. How are you able to tie in finance and the bottom line with sustainability? Multiple different ways. Um, I would say that 80 to 90% of the solutions that our firm is offering or that we're teaching about um, lead to cost savings, whether it's energy efficiency, whether it's water savings, whether it's um, efficiency within the process, whether there's shipping and supply chain or working with the manufacturing facilities, nine, 80 to 90% of them are cost-saving measures. Now, of course, not everything is a cost-saving measure. You have people that want to go out and put solar panels on roofs and things like that. And those right now still in, in a lot of states don't pencil out. But what we look at is 
from the kind of the finance perspective, that that top line revenue growth perspective, you're seeing that investors, and this is where we really engage the finance people, investors are asking clients about their social, environmental, and governance performance on these sustainability-related issues. And so whereas it, it used to be a, a nice to do and, hey, we're, you know, look at us, we're so great, you know, 10 years ago, now it's, you are absolutely having to report that. And even if you don't have an existing customer who's asking you, if you're publicly traded, you know, Bloomberg, State Street, ISS, they're all rating you. They're all putting your performance. They're all putting that into their decision criteria as to what stock, which company is, is taking this, these issues seriously. Um, and they're incorporating around COVID nineteen, and so it's one of these things where we'll go to a you know to the finance person, and instead of now being of well do these things, you could save money. We'll say you know do do this thing, or you may lose a fifty million dollar contract with you know company X or company Y, and that really seems to get their attention. Or you know this this um, this large investor may divest and is going to cash out, and oh my gosh, you better have cash on hand. So this is a, um, it's, it's real world, it's real money, and, um, and that's, that's how we're trying to engage them now as opposed to it's the right thing to do or, you know, we need to take action because it's a moral cause. No, we can really, truly aggress people, you know, aggressively engage people through their finance department. Now, when I first learned about you is when you presented about a month ago to the EarthX organization, and I know during that presentation you were addressing on an individual basis what people can do. So I'm going to ask you specifically three things that perhaps a business can start looking at, and then what are three things that individuals can start looking at to move them to be you know, more sustainable? I think from a business perspective, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, when you, uh, when you've come out of the holidays and you've eaten way too much and you're hesitant to step on the scale because you don't want to see what that number is. It's the same way with businesses that are, that are a little worried about what they're going to see. And, and we just tell them the first thing you need to do is you need to do a, a kind of a sustainability assessment or, you know, to get in, you know, a lot of utilities um, offer free energy audits. They offer free waste audits. Um, they offer ways to redu- reduce, um, water consumption. And so we tell them if you haven't done that, take advantage of the, of the the free audits that are out there because more often than not, they'll show you where you've got low-hanging fruit um, and provide you with the incentives to, um, to start taking action as you build your program. For an individual, I think that, you know, the biggest thing to look at is you kind of want to ask yourself, okay, this is how I'm currently living and what would you know, if I were, if I were really living my values, what would I be doing? How would I consume? So we, we, we ask people, you know, in what ways, in what ways do you consume? And obviously in the pandemic, everyone has been clicking on Amazon and buying stuff online because it's, it's easy and convenient. You know, it's safe, but we ask them, you know, in what ways could you do that? But you can be intentional with your dollars. If you want to support your local businesses, if you want to support your local stores and bookstores and restaurants in what ways can you do that and still have that same convenience but that the money stays in your community and in a lot of ways that's the most important thing that an individual can do is is look at where they're spending money and how they're spending money and then say is this the intention we want if we want you know if COVID-19 is threatening 50 percent of all small businesses 
how can we make sure that our money is going to them as opposed to a giant multinational? So I appreciate that. You know, the crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. So you've been involved in this sustainability movement for over 20 years, speaking all around the world. What's your why? What drives you? What motivated you to get involved and what keeps you involved? You know, Raj, that's a, a great question because I think, you know, when I originally got involved, it was kind of at a, a point of, you know, seeing what was happening in the world and wanting to kind of make a difference. You know, I had driven across the country several times when I was leaving one career before I, I started this one. And I, I kept thinking to myself, how can I use business to save the environment? Because I don't have an environmental degree. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a politician. What, what do I understand? I understand business. And how can I, how can I use that for good? And then, you know, when I opened up Sustainable Business Consulting, I, you know, a month before I had done it, I had read the Intergovernmental Panel uh, Report on Climate Change and just saw how this idea that seemed so amorphous um, that was going to happen in 2050 or 2100, what the changes are actually going to start hitting us in 2020 and 2030. And I felt like someone's got to do something and someone needs to go around and, and educate businesses. So I, I went around to... 45 different consulting agencies in the Seattle area. And I kept asking, who's going to do something on, on climate change? Who's going to do something on social justice? And every single one said, yeah, you're right. Somebody needs to do that. And so I, after the after the 45th one, I was like, I guess I got to start my own firm and do it. And, um, you know, so the why is I truly believe that when businesses see a profit motive, they do the right thing. Um, there's always a tension between doing the right thing, whether it's acting on COVID-19, whether it's acting on the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it's acting on an issue like climate change. They, they know and they want to do the right thing, but they've got this tension about the balance sheet and their financial statements. And if you can, instead of having tension, if you could find how doing the right thing actually improves an organization's bottom line, then they they go and they go hard and they go fast and so the the why is really you know I want to I want obviously I mean you hear everyone say I want a future for my kids everyone wants the same aspiration but that's really what I've come down to is the how and I feel like um, with a business if you can show them the profit motive it's there um, when I wrote the book how to talk to the other side it's it's going beyond business it's talking to any number of type of individuals and understanding what what, where their tensions lie and what is really core to what their most basic needs are. And if you can help them solve that by, you know, acting in a more socially just or environmentally friendly way, then they go because they, it's more exciting to do that than the traditional way. What moved you to read that report 20 years ago? Gosh, that's a great question. I don't, I think it was just because, um, you know, I had someone that was, asking me about it and i felt like i was kind of a um I, I didn't know enough to answer their questions you know in the level of depth that they were asking so i felt like gosh i, I really should read this and know this front and back and really truly understand what's going on um but then as i read it the emotional connection to you know my heart and my head and my hands kind of all came together of like 
okay, this is really bad. Um, you know, I think everyone's, you know, people have been talking about this since the late 80s, but it was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is something we have to take action on now. And it's one of the areas where I have tension when I um, sit on panels with, um, say, you know, scientists who talk about, you know, two degrees centigrade increase in temperature or sea levels rising by 2100. For most people, that's just too far off in the future. What I try and do and, and we talk about in this book is how do you take an issue like climate change, but you break it down to an extreme weather event, like what you mentioned, Raj, of, you know, how many, how hot it is in Dallas and how unbearable it is. Phoenix just hit an all-time record for days above 110 degrees. You know, we're seeing bomb cyclones increase in, in superstorms and hurricanes. And, you know, now in the West, they call it fire season as opposed to just summer and fall. It's now called fire season. And the fire season is now six months long. And so you're seeing everybody's being impacted by these extreme weather events. And it's, again, if you talk about the amorphous thing of climate change and what's going to happen by 2030 or 2050 or 2100, most people are more worried about how am I going to get through my day-to-day? So if you can bring it back to them on their day-to-day and you say, how has coronavirus impacted your day-to-day? Everyone can tell you what it's done to their work life, to their family life, to their social life. And you can say, okay, so how can we make sure that we you know, prepare for that next one? How can we come out of this better, stronger, more resilient? And people will engage because that's something that everyone can hit and think about. If they're, if they're talking about the next pandemic or something that's going to happen five, ten years from now, that's not where people's minds and their hearts are. They, they're right now in the present day. And so we have to really focus on that. So it's obvious that you're a learner. So what are some of the valuable lessons that you've learned on your journey? I would say the most valuable lesson I've learned really goes back to when you're like age seven, you know, it's listen first. You know, if you want to be understood, you first have to understand. And I think, you know, treating people as you would like to be treated. I think we've just gotten away from it. And when I, when we were writing this book, How to Talk to the Other Side, it just kept coming back to me like, God, these are all things that I learned by third grade. What has happened to our society where, you know, we've lost the ability to have civil conversations, where we've lost the ability to even have conversation because you m- mention a word. And I mean, even, you know, I give the example of one thing I learned was I was giving a, a talk to an audience um, in, you know, a very kind of conservative business audience and i put on a a trump hat and you could see certain people in the audience kind of relax because they were like okay he's one of us and then i swapped my hat for biden and you could see other people relax but you could see the people that had relaxed when i put the trump hat on all of a sudden were curious they were like less distrustful of whatever i was saying and i just kept switching the hats as i was going through the conversation and i realized that people's entire belief systems and how they're willing to listen to facts or information that's coming to them is, is morphed by this mass siloization we've done with our social media, with our news stories, with our political parties. And by breaking that barrier and getting away from it and getting back to the basics of how do you find common ground with people? You know, how do you, you talk about sports? You talk about, you know, your family, where you're from, your, uh, you know, your hobbies, um, how you're surviving the pandemic. And by doing that, then you can open up the bigger conversation. And that's probably been the biggest learning that I've had throughout this whole process. 
I love that experiment. I'm thinking in my head if I should try it or not, but um, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> you know, I, Raj, it is a great social experiment. Um, I used to do this where I would show up in different outfits to different, you know, some of my sustainability classes. I'd show up the first day in a full suit and I'd say, this is a sustainable business class, but this has got business in it. And people would be in their Birkenstocks and their shorts and their tank tops and and they would be like, whoa, what the hell is coming on with this guy? I thought we were like solving how to save the planet. And then the next day I would show up in a polo shirt, khakis, and they'd kind of ease. And then I'd show up in jeans and a, and a t-shirt. And you could see there, oh, okay, the class is about that. And I'd be like, yeah, but what you really were worried about was that first day where I showed up in a suit. You didn't know how to talk to me in that. And that scared you. So we have to get you to that point where you embrace that. You want that. Um in the same way that I talk to, um, you know, conservative audiences where, you know, and, and business and finance leaders who all are, are talking about ROI and making sure we maximize shareholder value, I will leave you to a point where I get them you know, riled up and excited about that. And then when I show them that the investment funds like the Dow Jones Sustainability Index actually outperforms the Dow. And the S&P Social and Environmental Index outperforms the S&P 500. And this is, you know, post-2008 all the way up until 2016. It's been during this, you know, massive market uptick prior to the pandemic. It's been during the pandemic. And you show them how these sustainability funds actually outperform the traditional funds. They, they just can't believe it. But by instead of talking about anything about morality or environment or social justice, all I'm talking to them about is, return on investment and maximizing shareholder value and and then they they kind of they get it but I, I i think you should definitely try that social experiment and you'll be shocked at how quickly you will lose more than half of your audience it's interesting how much identity we assign to clothing and hats and t-shirts etc um it just makes you kind of walk through your in your mind you know when you do go out in public what are you wearing and how people respond to you. So I really appreciate that. That really has me thinking here. Yeah. If you're wearing a red hat in a liberal stronghold, you could have a St. Louis Cardinals baseball hat on or uh, one of the old Texas Rangers hats where they had red as one of their private, you know, primary colors. And people would just assume it's a make America great hat. Um, you could be walking out in a conservative area with a, a, a hat that might look like, um, Biden, but it might be the Buffalo Bison's AAA baseball team, and people will just, you know, you know, pull back. And so, you're absolutely right, and that's one of the things that um, we really tried to do with this book, how to talk to the other side. Was we have to stop stereotyping one another. We have to stop, you know, I mean, whoever you voted for, I don't know what, what how we've allowed this as a society, but we've allowed people to kind of. Um, just make blank generalizations about us based on who we might be voting for. And, you know, uh, someone, you know, I know my values are very different than, you know, pretty much everyone else in town. We might have some similar core values, but um, we can't let clothing, we can't let a, a person's political affiliation be the de facto representation of everything they're there for. I mean, you just look in the, to the Democratic Party and the, the divide between all the different candidates, between the Bernie supporters, the Biden supporters, the Andrew Lyons supporters, and where you go with all those issues. And it's no different. We just need to, um, we need to be more intentional in how we're engaging people. Kevin, I really appreciate you sharing that. So 
let's move to the future. Let's assume that everyone's read your book. It's 2025. What does the future look like for you? I think the future looks a lot more hopeful. You know, I'm really optimistic that, um, you know, I've had a lot of feedback from, from readers who've, who've bought my book um, that it's opened up their mind. I think one of the things that I'm hopeful about is people on the left have said that it needed to be more to the left and people on the right have said it needed to be more to the right, which means that I kind of, we kind of hit it right down the middle where we needed to be. And I'm hopeful because I feel like if we can start listening to one another again, if people, if everyone's read this book, they, their, their temperature will come down. They'll figure out how to have conversations, but more importantly, Instead of looking at somebody on the other side as, well, how am I going to convince them? If they say with empathy, how can I help them address their problem and their anxiety? And I'm going to work to solve that first, and then I'm going to worry about what I was going to tell them. And by outlining the win-win solutions we have throughout the book, I think there's there's a real opportunity to do that. Um, I mean, I just gave a couple different examples where, you know, we've had instances out here in the western united states between ranchers and farmers and environmentalists who you know want the reintroduction of wolves or grizzly bears into you know, some habitat and for years the ranchers and, and farmers fought it because they were like you know our it's our property that's being trampled it's our livestock that's being killed and so they tried to have a big government solution of coming in and you know saying okay well if you take a photo of your livestock that's been killed or crops have been trampled then fill out this long process and they will reimburse you, but it all takes a long time. When we use some of the techniques in this book where we went and we listened, and what the American Prairie Reserve did was they, they flipped the issue on its head. They listened to the farmers and ranchers who were like, no, we get it. We, we want these animals here. We understand the importance of the ecosystem. I just want fairness. I don't want to have to fill out these damn bureaucratic forms. If one of my cows is killed, I should be able to just take a photo of it, upload it, and get a payment. And so the American Prairie Reserve, this nonprofit, what they did was they put wildlife motion sensing cameras on their property. And every time one of these um, endangered species came across their property, it automatically took a photo. And they got money every single time that, uh, that a photo was clipped. And so all of a sudden, this wildlife being seen as a nuisance all of a sudden started to be seen as an asset and it's a financial asset. And these ranchers and farmers started saying, hey, here are these other wildlife corridors that I know where I'm seeing stuff get trampled. Can we put another camera up here? And I'll preserve that area if I can make money. And all of a sudden, it just flipped the whole discussion from people who were literally at these throats and talking about how much they hated one another to now, hey, we're all in this together. And we can both accomplish exactly what we want. And I think if we can take those type of lessons and we have them scattered throughout our book um, and apply them, I'm really hopeful of what we can do moving forward. I think so too, Kevin. My last question, you know, you've peppered this entire conversation with advice, but specific question is, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? That is a great question. I think it really comes down to, to hope. And I think that the one bit of wisdom that I would give to people is that, you know, if you, if you put yourself back to a situation where, say, you were in high school or college or, you know, some type of social situation where you're showing up at a party, you know, we didn't, we didn't go and introduce ourselves and talk about our political values. And you didn't go and tell someone everything about you. 
you went and you listened. You you kind of sat on the fringe. You listened to find out what they cared about, what their hobbies, what their passions, what sport teams they did. And you found common ground and you started having those conversations. And then as you got to know each other, then you could peel back the onion and have more deeper conversations. We've lost as a society our ability to even reach out and find common ground with someone on the other side. And, you know, the the, the tip I would say is that, you know, think about how we're all feeling during the pandemic and you're starting to see people who, um, you know, on Zoom and other ways, you're starting to see what their lives are really like and what their hobbies and they're, they're having the same struggles. And I, the, the bit of wisdom I, I would say is that if you start with the shared aspiration that, you know, we all want to be healthy, we don't want, we don't want to get sick, um, we want a good job, we want our businesses to be open, we want our schools to be open, we want them to be safe, um, and we want, you know, the ability to retire at some point. When you start with your shared aspiration, as opposed to getting into the, where, you know, the, that's the what. Where all the difference and the disagreement and the lack of harmony is on the how. And if we can, instead of talking about the how something should get done and focus on the what, which in this situation right now, if we can talk about how do we reopen schools safely, how do we reopen business safely, and how do we make sure that we don't get sick? When you start with that, then solutions come together. When it's well, we got to open the schools or we got to stay home or we got to open the economy or we got to worry about public health. Should we wear masks or not? You know, instead of in what ways could people show up at a restaurant and not, you know, spread the virus and spend money and keep the business afloat? That is a different conversation than um, the divisive notes once are out there. And so I think if I'm going to leave the listeners with anything, it's start with shared aspirations, find common ground with people. And once you get there, the, the solutions kind of present themselves. Kevin, I love the idea of shared aspirations. Thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? Yeah, if any of any of your listeners uh, you know, have you know other questions or want to follow up with me, um, you can go to our website at www.sustainablebizconsulting, so sustainablebizconsulting.com. You can reach me there. Um, you can buy the book on Amazon. It's called How to Talk to the Other Side, Finding Common Ground in Coronavirus, Recession, and Climate Change. And um, and if and definitely continue to follow Raj's podcast because uh, they're, they're amazing. And Raj, I just really appreciate you having me. Kevin, thank you so much. And I will put your website and links to the book all in the show notes. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.